In the early days of Pearl Jam, getting your hands on a bootleg wasn't as easy as it is today. Anytime you want to bring a tape recorder to one of our shows, you're more than welcome to. There were no MP3s, no torrents, and no massive catalog of official shows released by the band. Maybe then you won't have to pay $30 or anything like that. You can have your own tape. I'm Patrick Bogle. And I'm Brian Horowitz. And these are stories about becoming fans in the 90s. It's hard to imagine. We sought every rarity and B-side we could get our hands on. Taste, we've got taste. Never would have known that you This is Hallucinogenic Recipe. I never got to taste anything. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Hallucinogenic Recipe. I am Patrick Bogle with my co-host, Brian Horowitz. Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing, buddy? I am doing excellent. And we are here with a special guest. We are here with Dan Lear. Dan, how are you? Good, Patrick. How are you? Doing great. Uh, this is uh, going to be an exciting episode for us. We uh, are going to talk about Pearl Jam's performance on April 12th, 1994 at the Orpheum Theater and all of the recording and bootleg lore around this program. Um, and it's great to have Dan with us. He reached out um, a few months back when we first kicked off Hallucinogenic Recipe. And uh, Dan has a lot of experience in the old tape trading world. Um, he and I actually, um, you know, back in the day, were part of tape trading trees and CDR trading mm -hmm. trees. And uh, it was really exciting to get uh, a note from him that he had uh, listened to the show and we had talked about some opportunities to uh, get him on and talk a bit. And this seemed like a great natural fit. So before we get into the Orpheum, just a couple of quick, you know, sort of your fandom, your experience, uh, what was your sort of entree into the world of Pearl Jam bootlegs, Dan? Yeah, um, yeah, that's a great question. So I was probably, I was 12 or 13 when Versus came out, and I had heard, uh, obviously loved um, Ken before that, but um, once, once that came out and, you know, that they were releasing all the singles, right? So Yellow Leadbutter was just all over the radio, and, you know, I remember my brother asking me, hey, what, you know, which, which album is that on? Which CD is that on? And I was like, well, it's, it's not on a, you know, it's not on the album. You got to go get the, the singles and the B-sides. And so we got that and then, you know, started to look through going to CD stores and record stores and yeah. uh, just buying up every, you know, CD single that, that had a B-side, right? Where you get Wash and Dirty Frank. And, um, and eventually, you know, I kind of stumbled upon, I would see the Dissident singles in the store and I didn't really didn't really like click into it like that there were three of them because they were numbered one, two, and three. And, you know, I was talking to the guy at the record store. So I, I grew up out in uh, Detroit and this was at Car City Records. And he said, uh, you know, you can, you know, buy these three singles and you get like a full concert. And so, you know, I, I, I think I ended up at three record stores and you know, I was like 14 at the time and uh, just running around town on my bike trying to, dig these things up and, you know, find number one and number two and number three and put them together. And then of course you get the, the Atlanta 94 show. 
and not not the whole thing i didn't know that at the time but uh that like i think that kind of changed everything for me like at first i thought of it as like you know these are just some live versions of of these songs that i love um and i really loved the like the production and the sound on the albums but this was just really showing you know what this band was like live and how they could they could do this and you know this was a you know a slice of life and you know just a incredible versions of those songs uh from you know rear view mirror to porch and you know hearing sonic reducer and just going through that that show and just over and over again and that really you know kind of showed me like yeah there, there's a lot more going on here than just what you get on the the cds and so that was really kind of the the entree i think it's um I know you guys had, had recently talked a lot about, uh, you know, some, some bootleg CDs that you were fond of and talked about how you got into tape trading. Um, and like, I never, I never traded for a tape. Like I knew of it, but uh, I just, I bought the singles and I bought the, you know, the live in Atlanta. And then, you know, as soon as MP3s were a thing, like 1997, uh, like I, I got into that as quick as I could. And like my, the computer we had at my house we could barely handle it. But I just like that was the way for me. So I knew I know there was a lot of stuff that was copied over from tape. But yeah, it was I was just finding websites and FTP sites where you could you could get a whole show in MP3 and uh, and be able to listen to that and eventually put it on CD. So that's really where I uh, where I got into the whole trading community and uh you know bootlegs and stuff so that's that's really cool so your entree you know definitely from like the 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 import singles um mm -hmm. area and then ultimately um the the early stage of the the, the leap to digital which is really wild i mean that's you're you're talking about like the time frame like um you know ultimately when when yield got leaked mm -hmm. you know oh, yeah. um th yep. so that's yeah that's really cool that's very cool the days when downloading an mp3 you'd be like oh i want this version of blood i have to wait an hour and a half <laughs> and just <laughs> you'd watch it and then your connection would die you'd have to start it all over again yep yeah well it's funny because so i had the the atlanta show on cd right and you could by that by that time so this is probably you know early 98 or so like, you know, you could find sites where you could download those things, but it would take forever, right? Because you're on a phone dial-up modem. And when <laughs> I found out that there were more songs that they played at that show, instead of, like, downloading the whole thing, I just went, like, you know, I'll grab Better Man and Satan's Bed and the, you know, Dave's Jam. And then I edited that all back together and burned a new CD because <laughs> it was... Oh, nice. Like, <laughs> it, was, it seemed more appealing to do that than to wait you know, three nights or, or not even wait, but like, well, that's, I could have been downloading some other show, right? I mean, I could be getting MTV unplugged or, you know, Zurich 92 or something. <laughs> so nice. I'm not going to waste time downloading songs I already have. Absolutely. Yeah. These days you download the whole thing just for the two songs and get rid of everything else. Cause it takes you <laughs> five minutes. Yeah. If that, <laughs> if yeah, that. right. If that, right. Well, that's a good segue. Cause that, that'll get us into the, the story of this really you know, my interest in talking about Orpheum particularly, I mean, obviously from a fan perspective, I think all three of us could agree that, the, you know, there was a, a serious history to this one with the 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 set list alone. But for, for me personally, this goes back to 
And the guys, uh, the actually the original cast and crew of uh, Live on uh, Four Legs when it was live on, I think Two Legs at that point, um, was uh, episode forty nine, and um, I believe it was forty nine, and uh, Randy and um, and Matt um, covered the episode way back when, and I had actually emailed them about this. I was a, a a bit of a junkie for bootleg CD collecting and, and just music in general. And I had um, gotten turned on to this uh, little magazine newsletter called Ice while I was in college. And in issue 94 from January 1995, in their Going Underground section, there's a little piece. The Going Underground section was all about um, bootlegs. And there was a blurb about the Why Not label launching a new line of what they were calling premium CDs under the banner of the Octopus Golden Collection. And the label claimed that these were all going to be uh, uncirculated soundboard tapes. And one of the first ones that they were going to put out was from the Orpheum Theater. And the, the whole idea of this being something that fans were going to get their hands on to me was like absolutely crazy because it was only a few months after the show and it just seemed too legitimate that it was going to happen that they had this write-up about it and there was a lot of excitement um between folks that were collecting bootlegs at that time and you know there, there was a bunch of us that i went to college with and and then it just never came it, we went to the the CD shows that we would go to every couple of months, and we were asking about it. It wasn't there. And then a couple of months later, there were some rumblings about a, essentially a a heist that happened within the the bootleg community, which led to the actual release that was put out on the octopus golden collection by why not, which was um, dedicated to the motherfuckers. And that was just another copy of, of a very good show from Indio. Um, and it basically was used by the bootleggers to, um, to out the individuals who <laughs> claimed to have access um, to Pearl jams tapes. Um, but that's another show in of itself. Uh, so we'll get into Indio and, and its various bootlegs at a different time. But it was just, you know, it was very, very disappointing um, because it just seemed like almost too good to be true that this this fan club show with this great set list was going to come out. And then the only other um, access that I came across from a bootleg was the first version of New Songs, um, which... There was, I, Brian, you'll have to uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we counted down that there was like up to like five versions of new songs as, uh, as bootlegs over the years. Um, but this yeah, first remember, one, go ahead. I remember seeing the three of them and I think I had a couple of them on tape. And then I think by the time they got to versions four and five, it had, uh, you know, uh, jumped the, jumped the, the ship, so to speak, and uh, <laughs> wasn't worth getting anymore. Oh man, it's the, but the the first one um for for new songs um 
it it was so promising, but I should have known better because that yeah. there, you know, there's basically um, a tiered label um, that was all sort of, all sort of interrelated. You had Kiss the Stone, um, yeah. and they were related to big music, and they were also then related to what was Cocomelis Records, and that's what new songs came out on. But I couldn't resist it um, <laughs> because it had. Yellow Leadbetter, Tremor Christ, Not For You, Immortality, and Hard To Imagine from the Orpheum show on it. And I remember picking it up, and I remember putting it in, and it starts with um, Satan's Bed and Better Man from from Atlanta. (laughs) And those, of course, sound great. And then there's a couple of tracks from um, a couple of audience um, shows that, you know, no problem there. And they just, you know, weren't necessarily soundboard recordings and then there's b girl from rockline and then a couple of uh tracks that came from fan club singles and then the the orpheum tracks which are hit and miss um they didn't come from the same source they were all sort of uh different eqs and it was just listenable for the for the history of it but just another sort of dagger in this idea that there was going to be the soundboard that was out there um so that was like my my experience with orpheum until about 2003 um when it started getting remixed um uh, and i think the the big one the first one was um through Black, Red, Yellow, when they were doing, uh, if, if you guys recall, they were doing a, a series of uh, different remixes and, and oh, yeah. Matrix mixes, right? I, I worked so, on some of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, when did you get involved with that, Dan, with Black, Red, Yellow, right from the start? or No, I mean, I, I'd have to go back and look. So I'm actually, like, I worked on a lot of the, the uh, like, the November 95 ones, and I have the... Uh, um, the the guy behind it, you know, Alan Robertson made a really nice um like box set box with this like foil inlay of the the scarab logo from the tickets and yeah. It's just a beautiful set. Um it's like I, I have that right here. Uh so that's real nice. Um I, I don't remember. It was probably it was probably two thousand three to two thousand four time. Yeah. Like I did like I'm credited for like for the Atlanta ninety four release, but really all I did was you know, yeah. like, like, oh, this was the best, the best copy, uh, and then you know, this is the best copy of the the FM radio show after, and you know, retrack it kind of, or maybe you know, mix in some uh, crowd or you know, some some radio stuff that was cut from the the highest quality uh, recording. Nice. Yeah, it was, it was probably around there. It was yeah, I did a lot of the um, the two thousand four shows too because we. We did all the the vote for change, or yeah, the vote for change tour. Yep. Oh, cool! Very cool. So, so, let's talk about your experience, particularly with the video for Orpheum <laughs> and digitizing it. You had mentioned that that was a an interesting experience. So, how did that come about? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned, you know, the, 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 the trading trees and, uh, you know, the mailing list from back in like 2000, where we were, 
you know, freeing things. And, you know, there was a group of folks from, you know, from that online community that were, you know, really excited about, um, you know, digital video, right? Like, take, because that was getting to a point where it was doable, right? It was, you could get a VHS tape and convert it to something on the, you know, with a computer that, that at least resembled <laughs> a VHS tape. It wasn't quite that high quality, um, but it was watchable. And then if you could mix in like a, a soundboard bootleg, and this was 2000, so we were, you know, getting all the official ones, it just got a lot more appealing. And the, you know, being able to use software on the computer to do that just made it a lot easier for, you know, for those of us that were already do using that to copy CDRs and, and trade those. Um, and so, you know, a bunch of us from that, from that, um, list kind of, you know, broke off and formed our own group to, you know, collect and archive, you know, VHS tapes and um, convert them to video CDs. So this was slightly before DVD and, and not as good quality. Um, but you could burn something to us, you could burn the video to a CD and, and usually be able to play it in a DVD player, right? Because that was taken off around the same time. And then you could get a you copy it just like you copy an audio CD and, you know, compared to waiting two hours for a videotape to copy, it was just a, a huge win and a lot easier to, you know, send them in the mail or, or put them on websites and, and share things that way. And so we, you know, we got through a bunch of those. Uh, we called that project the, the video mission. And it was, you know, I was involved and there was a, the guy who started uh, the Sky Ice Scrape. And there were a bunch of other, uh, you know, fans and, and traders from that that list that that joined up there. And eventually, we, you know, we figured out a lot of the best ways to do things and what equipment to use, and you know, not just to use your junky old, you know, VCR from Radio Shack. Um, and then eventually, so this started in like early 2000, and then maybe a year later, we, you know, got into, you know, DVD burners started being. It, you know, not 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 that everybody had one, but you could buy one at a Best Buy, and you know it wasn't thousands of dollars anymore. Um, and so we got the idea that well, you know, we have some of the we you know got to know some some videotapers that you were taping on digital, and you know made some DVDs from those. So like the Seattle 2000 show, um, I think was the first one I put on on DVD, and you know just kind of word got out that hey, there's these this group of people that know how to, um, you know, get these, get these shows and put them on DVD. And then you can make, you know, copies of that and it's digital. So it doesn't degrade and they're, you know, syncing up the, you know, the best uh, quality bootleg, whether that was a, you know, one of these audience mixes that was matrixed and put together and, and, uh, equalized or edited or, you know, a soundboard boot. And so, you know, kind of, you know, word through the grapevine. And uh, so one of the guys, uh, his name was Eric, that was in the, um, you know, in, involved in all this stuff. He was a couple of years younger than me. And he went to Ohio State University uh, in Columbus. And I was at uh, University of Michigan. And so we were good friends, you know, just despite the, uh, the rivalry between, between the schools, especially with the uh, athletics. Um, and another, you know, another guy that that he that uh, that he knew from from the area that was also very active in the taping and trading had a um, had a copy of this Orpheum video, and 
you know, what he had was a, a second gen copy. So, you know, the, the copy that was in the camera, that's the master. And then they make a copy for somebody and then that's the first generation. And then, you know, there was, so it was a copy of a copy of a copy. And, you know, I, you can tell if you look up the video on YouTube, it's like, this wasn't somebody sneaking uh, this video, right? They weren't hiding their camera. Like this was shot with permission. It was, you know, from somebody that, that had the okay to do it. And so they, you know, obviously weren't supposed to be making copies for everybody and giving it out. So it was kind of, you know, it was pretty much a given that like, this is the lowest generation copy that's ever going to get out, right? Like, you know, the person who taped it isn't going to give it away and put it on the internet someday. Um, but we had this one. And so, um, you know, you know again, the, the guy that had the, that had the tape decided, you know, he wanted to get this put onto DVD and digitized and preserved and also, you know, fixed up with some, you know, mix in the good audio that we, you know, the good audience recording that we had. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm like 20, 21 and this other kid's like 18, 19. And so he drove up on a Friday night from uh, Columbus, Ohio uh, to, you know, to meet me in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And, uh, you know, I still didn't have all the equipment. I had some of the stuff, but uh, so then we like, we spent Friday night, we got over there at like 11 o'clock at night and went to the, one of the libraries on campus where they had all this like AV equipment. So we're, you know, sitting there in the, the basement of the, uh, like the engineering library at the University of Michigan and just, you know, they've got stuff for, you know, transferring videotapes and slide projectors and, you know, all kinds of stuff that a, that a university library would have. And so we're sitting there, you know, playing the, um, you know, this, this copy of a copy of a Pearl Jam show. And the way we would digitize them is record them onto a, a digital camcorder. Because that turned out to be like kind of the best bang for your buck of you know getting something digital. So I, I had bought the camcorder uh, a couple of months earlier, and so you know I take it there and put it on a digital tape from you know we'd play it in their their you know their high end pro deck at the library, and then we'd have to sit there all night because you know it takes takes two two hours to you know make a copy of a two hour uh, tape. So we're just sitting there in the library, just, you know, copying the tape. And uh, so then I had it digitized. And then from there, you, you know, I, it took several months. So, so, yeah, that was like March of 2002. So this is 20 years ago now. Uh, but, yeah, we, we, we did that, you know, late on a Friday night. He crashed on my couch and then drove home the next morning. It's like a three-hour drive, which, you know, is not that much. But it was just kind of like, well, this is what we're, we're going to do to get this done. So we had this tape. And then I, I think I, you know, I don't think I finished working on the DVD until October that year. But once, uh, you know, once we had that, then, you know, could make copies for the, the few people that were supposed to get them. And it was very few. And I didn't, you know, we didn't even tell anybody else in the, in the group that we had been working on this. Cause we were, you know, we were in on the secret and we were trusted with it. Uh, but of course now, you know, you go to YouTube and look up Pearl Jam Orpheum and it's, you know, there's 15 different copies of it there and people have, since mixed in the you know the soundboard recording and all that but uh yeah that's that's how it got there because we just you know we wanted to make sure that uh we, we were excited to you know to have a line on it and uh wanted to make sure that you know we could get this thing digitized and archived uh and uh and preserve it for for fans and generations to come that's yeah, that is a true that's a true labor <laughs> of love right there i love it 
I mean, that that's just remarkable because like as you're telling that story, you're answering the question that first came up to my head is that basically the the version that everybody is seeing today mm-hmm. is the stuff that you guys worked on just altered with the different sound mixes that have come in over the last you know decade or so when the the, the um, official recording came out. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that's true. That's just that that's remarkable. So like it, the other than there there continues to be like no information about the um the recording equipment for that um video it's just listed sort of i always go to hard to imagine um <laughs> carl's site for like oh, the yeah. sort of the 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 bible listing of the equipment mm-hmm. for things and that's just listed as amt number 1 unknown <laughs> <laughs> And and that's it. I mean, so but yeah, that's so somebody had just a, that great placement and the ability to record that. And like you said, we're, you were able to get you know hands on second generation copy. Um, that's that that's just remarkable. I mean, if, especially when you're thinking about it in the frame of of this particular show. It's yeah. one of the things like uh, we talked about. You know, a little bit. We were you know. Sh- doing some uh brief runs on the uh the holland shows from 1992 and mm-hmm. you know you think about some of these these bootlegs and how they came to be and it it is really just it's it's odd sometimes how some of these shows just happen to have some source of tape for them and yeah. with this one in particular when you're talking about the the video of the visual being able to see it mm-hmm. is uh and and how that came to be uh, i'm just i'm i'm stammering here thinking about it that this is how it came out is that you guys tracked down uh a, 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 the youngest generation copy that you could possibly get your hands on and that's it i mean yeah. it's it's just out it's outrageous especially I when you can start. go ahead I was going to say, I think that's what's incredible about this whole world of bootlegs, right? I think you, you think about bootlegs and some of the discussions we've been having, and and some of it is, yeah, it's kind of these companies in Italy or Germany or wherever they claim they're from, and it's sort of this mass-produced thing, and some of it's garbage or whatever, but there really are, I mean, you, you think about the fact that, like, I'm just, like, I'm getting chills thinking about, like, I'm, I've am i watched that video or, or whoever, multiple copies of, of the Orphan mm-hmm. show on YouTube so many times and just, like, just stared at it, like, holy cow, this is amazing, and talking to someone here who's like you're you're not just like a, a random company in <laughs> Liechtenstein or you know like like yeah. uh um Argentina or something like that like you enjoy doing this and you did it because you love the music and people have benefited from that i just think it's it's amazing uh the, the other thing too real quick i just got a chuckle out of it earlier and i think patrick you and i touched on this uh on a previous episode but i love the reference to vcds i mean you talk about something that had such a short time oh, no. span I, I must have gotten shows from either, you know, you or someone in that circle because I have I still have them downstairs in my collection. I probably have a dozen or so VCDs. And like yeah. that was like about a year that those were kind of big in, in like yeah. trading circles and then gone. Like you yeah. never saw them again. Yeah, I mean, it was good for us to to figure out like what worked and what didn't, because there, there was a lot of things about that process that that grew up and that, you know, applied to DVDs and digital later on. It was like. You know, you could go buy this box. I remember there was this one called the Dazzle, and it was like a USB thing that you'd plug, you plug into your computer, and you'd plug the other end into your VCR, and it would make an MPEG file, like not MP4, but MPEG one, 
and yeah. put that on your computer. But if you, and it could be like VCD ready, but then it was just really horrible quality. And the way to get good results was to like capture it a much higher quality and then encode it down. But then that would take, you know, three or four days. And so we just, yeah, like I was looking back on that and, it, and at one point I was thinking, my, wow, what a waste of time to go through and make all these VCDs. But it's like, it's like the first pancake, right? Like you have to, it, it was good to make all the mistakes or, or figure out what didn't work there so that when we got to DVDs and, and stuff that, you know, then we were at least matching the, the fidelity of like the VHS tape, right? We weren't, you know, we weren't under the impression that we were making anything that was going to, you know, look better than like a pro shot video or something you'd, you know, watch on HBO or something. Um, but it was just like, well, we at least want to take what's here and preserve it and archive it and kind of, you know, present it the best way that we can. And, you know, even at, the, at this stage like that, um, you know, I was still yeah. kicking myself years later for like the Orpheum show. I like, I put it on one DVD instead of two. So it's more compressed than it should be, but you know, but I, I do still have the, the tape I, I, I copied 20 years ago, so I could always <laughs> make a new, make a new version of it a little bit better, but uh, probably good for now. Oh, it's definitely good for now. I mean, gosh, I just like what Brian was saying. I mean, it's it, absolutely incredible to hear the process that went in to that. Cause I always was distant from the hands-on process. I knew that it was a lot of work, people doing the matrix mixes and all of those things. My game was always like, I'll try to be a branch in these trading trees for as many people as I possibly can <laughs> to get these things mm -hmm. out. But it's just incredible to, to like, just to hear the effort and time that goes into that. And just again, mind blowing to know that that is the, the recording, you know, the visual recording that everybody is seeing in all of its different forms out on YouTube, which is, it's just a different world. I mean, how easily yeah. accessible it is now where you just jump on and type in, you know, find me this show, find me this date. And yeah. it's, it's more than likely if there is a source, it's there. Mm -hmm. Dan, I'm curious, did you ever, um, like, obviously what you did was, a, like I said, a labor of love. I mean, you enjoyed doing this. You obviously, like, you were passionate about it and, and really wanted to put out a solid, um, just, you know, video and a solid thing for, for people to to enjoy. Did you ever come across people selling what was clearly your work? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of that, um, you know, and that was something that we were, you know, with especially like in the early days of the VCDs and, you know, the, the DVD stuff, we were, you know, we tried to put, you know, like little logos on it in the beginning, right, to say, you know, not for sale. Um, and, you know, it, it bugged me, but like, I also I just kind of decided, like, I, I can't, there's nothing I can do about that. And yeah. I just, I don't, I don't want to like put a big, you know, logo or my name in the corner of the screen. Cause it's not me, right. This is, this is Pearl Jam's music, right. It's, and somebody that, that captured their video and, uh, you know, so it's, I just wanted to, you know, put something out that was as clean as possible. And if, you know, some people, you know, decide that they're going to try to turn that around for a buck and, you know, that's, you know, karma will, will catch up to you on that. But, you know, I've, it turned, you know, it turned out all right for me for, um, you know, <laughs> I'm saying I, I didn't get rich doing any of that, but you know, there were a <laughs> bunch of, uh, 
But I mean, the same way that this Orpheum show, like I never would have expected to have seen that if, you know, we hadn't worked hard on, uh, you know, preserving these things and showing that this was that, you know, this was valuable for the community and that people appreciated it. And uh, a couple years later, uh, you know, similar situation with like the, the Red Rocks 95 shows, right? Those, again, were, you know, recorded with permission by like a local, you know, Denver area, you know, videographer. He did. Uh, Red Rocks 95, Casper 95. Uh, I think he had a little bit from like Oklahoma City 93 and the Denver 94 shows. The, you know, the unofficial like beginning of that, that 94 uh, spring leg. And just, mm-hmm. you know, after I had been, you know, putting these shows up and posting them online, I just got a, a message from him on one of those. It was either uh, like sharing the groove or something like that. One of those message boards from early 2000s where... He's like, hey, I, you know, I've got this, I've got these Pearl Jam tapes. Uh, would you, you know, be interested in putting them on DVD? It's like, well, this was the guy. Like, this was the guy that was there, and he he sent me the master tapes. And so I said, I said, yeah. And so he, you know, shipped me a box of the tapes and everything he had from, you know, that he was somehow able to, you know, allowed to to videotape those things. And so I, you know, I did the best I could, and you know, I put them on DVD, sent him copies and sent all his tapes back as quick as I could. And, you know, he got a kick out of that. And then those got, you know, preserved and shared online and, you know, similar stories. So like stuff like that is like, you know, that was kind of always the, the, the draw of it for me, like, you know, being able to, you know, be part of that and, you know, bring that to, uh, to the other fans and make sure that, you know, these, these moments are captured and, and and shared and so yeah i mean i'm sure you know some you know somebody's going to try to sell those things on ebay too but yeah, not anymore right everything's just on youtube but uh yeah 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 definitely yeah. watch those videos too <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, that, i mean i think you know brian to your point one of the things i remember also happening a lot at this time um was a, a serious amount of um I guess I would call it like community policing. Yeah. Uh, Cause things would go up on eBay. Uh, that was the early stages of eBay and there would be tons of, you know, fan created things that would start to make their way out there. And it was often early stages, hard to get those things taken down, but somewhere about, I think it was like roughly around 2003, 2004, it became a lot easier to uh, to really take those things down, and it just became you know almost to the point where it was m- more hassle than it was worth for people to try to take the stuff and and put it on there to sell it because they would just constantly be you know barraged by people going in and labeling the uh, the the work being um, sent out as illegal. So mm-hmm. couldn't deal with was those those that would get leaked out to stores you'd have to be a a really uh you know on top of it to to get to all of the various record stores around mm-hmm. the, the country that were selling videos and dvds or you know those things started to pop up and 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 ultimately replace the uh the illicit european bootlegs when you when you started to go to shows it was definitely a, a big craze for a while where the dvd bootlegs yeah, and I think I think the best you could do is just, 
you know, sh- make sure that people knew it was available and invite them in and, you know, do the, the blanks and postage thing and, you know, and just... Some people would rather just, you know, pay $15 instead of mailing off a blank CD and an envelope. But, you know, for the most part, like, I think you just give them a more, you know, attractive or exciting way to, to get it and, you know, welcome them in. And, you know, and I think that helps. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, that was the, the one of the big keys. I Like, I, I feel like just always telling people and the idea of that, you know, the, there was there was a lot to gain by just being patient and being part of the process versus trying to just make it quick and easy. Um, and I think you know a lot of people ultimately, um, as the things started to digitize, that was a huge um, huge change in the the taping community or tape trading community. I, I would say like, and it was only a brief period of time because things really yeah. quickly went from tapes to the cdr digital area where it was people had a little bit more access quicker mm-hmm. and then then we were quickly into the lands of uh of bit torrents and you mm-hmm. know as you mentioned earlier dan sharing the groove and sites like that where it was um torrent downloads and at that point it was your it was all about your karma of of how much uh how much upload or seeding yeah. that, that you could do <laughs> yeah it totally leveled the playing field though. I mean, I, I just, the whole, I, I still download torrents every once in a while or go to like archive or whatever. And it's just, it's so nice. I think the last time I paid for anything that wasn't official like that was early two thousands. I got burned on something on eBay. I bought, it was like a, like a 98 Chicago show. I want to say, um, mm-hmm. And and the the listing of it was just misleading. I bought it because it said like there was no gaps between songs. Sound quality is great. The sound yeah. quality was horrible, and there were two second gaps between songs. And luckily, yeah. I only paid like ten or twelve bucks. I wasn't super burned about it and, and upset. But I, I emailed the the seller, and I was like, dude, like, uh, what is this crap? And he was like, well, what do you want me to do about it? I'm like, <laughs> I was like, is it worth going to eBay and fighting for twelve dollars back? I suppose not. But at that point, I was like, I'm done. Like, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. You know, buying something sight unseen and not having heard it anymore i'm out of it and it's so nice like now you can download something and sometimes there are issues like that and you're like i don't care i'll just delete it <laughs> yeah yeah that that definitely that time frame you had to be careful when ebay was first mm-hmm. really really coming to to prominence there was you, you'd have to be really careful if you were trying to do music collecting through there I learned the hard way one time and then that was it for me. And that's when I was like, there's no point I'm going to invest in um, a DAT and a CD burner. And I was like, it would made much more sense to just, again, do it via connections versus, you know, what could, you know, seemingly be seen as a shortcut. Patrick, real quick before we move on, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't say, I know Randy was messaging us really quick there a little while ago. Apparently it's always been live on four legs. There's never been a name change. So, (laughs) Yeah, I know, but they were they were only really. I mean, it was like because you know, it had the it had the the change from when it was two of them, and then it was going to expand to four, and then it, you know, so uh, it only made sense for a while. Uh, yeah, we it, it, we were just two, but and hi everybody. I know I'm just like a special guest, but I'm just producing in the background, I suppose. Yeah, uh, it was just two of us, and we just said we both have two legs, and then we switched to four. It didn't quite really work out, so now we're kind of still being 
back to two people. But honestly, Brian, you want a leg. Patrick, you want a leg. Everybody gets a leg. We're we're all in this <laughs> together. Live on 10,000 legs if we need to be. I'll take a leg. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's let's quickly transition to where this this show ultimately ends up and to get there i am going to do our our you know hallucinogenic recipe quick hit on the one bootleg that exists the one illicit bootleg that exists that has um some tracks as mentioned from the orpheum the new songs i i would be remiss if i did not note now while this does not have any incorrect track names everything is is labeled correctly it's you know, all absolutely to the T of the time. Um, the one thing that they do is the four songs that I had mentioned, Ledbetter, Tremor Christ, Not For You, Immortality, they're all grouped together, and they are listed as Live at the Orpheum Theater, uh, Boston, Massachusetts, 412.94. Then you have a jump to uh, the uh, cover of Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, which was from Murfreesboro, and then they go back to a track that should be listed as recorded live at the Orpheum Theater, hard to imagine, but it's listed as recorded live at Morpheum Theater, Boston, Massachusetts, 412.94. So um, just, you know, typical of the, uh, the illicit bootlegs to have something so utterly ridiculous as um, a separate track from the exact same date from the exact same city but they've changed the name of the theater to Morpheum. But we'll do that as we go into the actual um, the prize that came out in the 93-94 box set. Um, so I, I don't know what your thoughts, both of you, on this was when it, when it happened. To me, this was like uh, probably one of the better moments in um official releases when i saw the 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 news come out that you know this box was coming and oh by the way we're putting the orpheum theater in here i was like you've got to be kidding me because this was full circle back to that ice magazine article uh from january 95 and i was like i'm finally gonna hear this show in some you know at least you know a, a large chunk of it from Brett Eliason's recordings. Uh, what what were your guys? What were your heads like? Where were you at when the announcement came out for the uh, versus Vitology box set and and the release of Orpheum coming out as an official, um, really the 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 second official live recording um, for, of a concert at that point because we'd only had live on two legs from a from a go back time frame we obviously all had all of the official bootlegs but vault type of releases <laughs> so i mean i think like anyone I, I was thrilled to finally have a soundboard of of one of the all-time legendary shows right i mean i i think it's in that upper echelon of you know half dozen shows that it, you ask any hardcore fan like what show would you like to have a soundboard of and and the orphan is one of them for sure that being said, I think you know where I'm going with part two of that. There's then the letdown, and I know we're, we'll probably go into it, of what do you mean it's not the entire show that's going to be released? Um, and then it like then there was like the supplemental tracks that they you could download. So 
I think it was sort of botched, but still having, you know, 75% of the show in the format we had that when they, when they put it out was just awesome. I mean, like, like chills inducing, like uh, to your point, like, holy cow, like the Holy grail, we're getting this show. This is amazing. Yeah. I, yeah. I pretty much feel the same, right? Like, you know, as I was saying at the beginning, right, like that Atlanta 94 show, like that's the tone, that's the era, like that's the, that's the tour, like that's what got me into this band as a live band. And, and I always felt like, you know, that was, you know, they, they played almost every song on, on both of their albums at that and I really, at, at Atlanta and listening to the, you know, the, uh, the live version Right. It was like, oh, this is the, the album tracks, right? These are the A sides, right? And then for, you know, 15, 17 years later to get the, the soundboard recording of that um, Orpheum show from a week later, where it's, it's just this incredible set list and all these rarities, right? Like this is the B sides. And it just really seemed to, you know, round that out, right? Like this is the, you know, kind of the, the greatest. Yeah, you know, capture of this of this moment for this band, which is, you know, probably, you know, one of their peak eras as far as I was concerned. And so to, you know, be able to, you know, have that and and hear, you know, everything and hear you know the solos and hear the, um, you know, hear just uh, that that clearly how how everything came together was great. But like you say, the like oh, it's you know, it's it's only these songs on one CD and there's mp3s of these other ones and a couple of them including i got a feeling are not even there at all and that's you know they they've done you know they did a similar thing with the the soldier field uh vault release and it just kind of yeah i'm I'm glad that it's there but it's like you know now now you need you come back to the fan community like now you need people to pick up the pieces and put together a complete version of the show that i can listen to yeah because that's what i that's what i listened to when i listened to it last week like like the full show with everything edited back together and not this uh, kind of, so I guess it does come full circle. Cause that, uh, like the dissident three disc Atlanta thing, you know, cut out all the talking and new songs. So, you know, we, I guess it only makes sense to have an edited version of the Orpheum show too. Yeah. It definitely, that, that slight buzz kill of, especially those tracks. I look at it, you know, the the release itself like it's funny like i at the time when this came out i actually ordered the just the the cd edition i i was not i had actually i had collected vinyl for a number of years but then had stopped and then actually at this point i had honestly almost stopped getting physical music cuz we're talking about you know 2011 when this was in market and uh you know the only the probably the the most recent purchase that i had had was um the 10 redux and um and then um backspacer on cd and then other things that i was getting at that time was mostly um you know digital downloads and not doing things from you know a physical um a physical media standpoint and it's it's funny when I was looking at this the other day, um, I I've since bought the a, a copy on vinyl that when they did the re-release release with um, Newberry Comics out in in Boston, but the CD packaging for this is actually a little bit better than the 
the vinyl packaging, the pictures of it, at least like the booklet setup. And it's almost reminiscent of what they would then start to do with the um, with the Vault series and being um, at least in the larger format for the vinyl um, for the Vault series, like trying to incorporate the photos and have them be, you know, sort of that that uh, moment in time of what was happening and um, and getting you know just a little bit more of a glimpse of what was going on on stage and whatnot but it was definitely i i do distinctly remember thinking if if they had either put another disc and or you know obviously for the lp versions they would need you know one more lp in there or if simply they didn't want to do that and had to edit it down the the exclusion of hard to imagine alone and better man in and of itself probably cost this from being potentially like the greatest vault release <laughs> in a way like it would be <laughs> so sought after i think if that if those were um if those were those tracks ended up on vinyl so it is, it is a perplexing um it's it sort of head scratcher that they decided to to drop all of those out of there in state of love and trust. I always forget that that one was, was, uh, was one of the MP3s too. Um, it just, it's one of those things where you're left scratching your head a little bit. So it's, it's both great and it's definitely something that I absolutely love having in, um, you know, out and in collection. And, and then it's also been great to see, uh, you know, Dan, to your point that it comes full circle where people are, you know, taking the, the the time to go back and they're taking the video that you guys worked on all those years ago and then doing matrix mixes with uh with the soundboard and and even you know taking the mp3s and un uncompressing those as best as possible to put those um into the full mix as well and it's just uh it's a it's a wild thing that you know this this community of fans and their passion for things of having it be mm -hmm. as complete as um, as potentially possible, um, and you know, it just there, there there's no stopping it. You know, like you could easily see a point where this comes out and everyone's like, okay, well, you know, that's great and that's done. But somebody had to say, you know what? Now I've got a I can't. It's not just well enough to have this great video with the the decent audience recording mixed into it. I'm gonna now take as as much of the soundboard um recordings and and mix that on top of it too mm -hmm. so any additional thoughts anybody's got on this particular show any other things that they that you wanted to touch on with the orpheum show is there any particular tracks i mean let's let's leave i've got a feeling <laughs> out <laughs> in the sense at least of like saying oh my gosh i mean i, I would be the first to say Oh, it's so just so unfortunate that they did not have tape running for that. But um, any thoughts on um, on the the ultimate release and um, you know just the, the experience of uh, of of ultimately getting that that you know that vault recording and and being able to, to immerse yourself in it. I've just always loved the. I mean, obviously, it's known that sort of the the roadies right pick the sat list of it. I just I love the way the show flows. 
I love um, it's there's so many unexpected kind of twists and turns in the show. And I, I think like you know, I'm looking at the set list right now on, on the, the CDR version of this show that I had back in obviously the early 2000s, somewhere around there, like you guys. I mean, just like to end off that main set. And it's like, you know, alone, not for you, Better Man. And, and again, a, a pre a lot of fans getting jaded by Better Man. It was pre Vitality, right? So like alone, yeah. not for you, Better Man, Rat's Blood. To end the freaking like it's just it, it's an astonishing kind of run of songs. That version of Blood too is is sickening. It, it's just ridiculous. And and like you said earlier, you 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 referenced State of Love and Trust being left off. That is a killer version as well. That's one. That's a head scratcher. Yeah. Like of all the ones not to include, why why that one? Yeah, yeah, that one, that one, that one slays. That's one of those great, great, great early versions. I mean, the other thing, obviously, you know that the, the somewhat the elephant in the room with this one. This is you know. Dave A's penultimate show and listening to that the other night, you know, it's, I, I spend a lot of time and I'll, you know, be the first to admit, uh, like there's times where I'm like, like sort of hyper, um, focused on Jack Irons years and, you know, being a big no code fan, but I've started, you know, spending some time listening to some of these, you know, 93, 94 shows again. Um, and, you know, obviously, you know, we just mentioned the, the uh the 92 holland shows and you know dave a's he was a great drummer i mean in a different way you know every 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 instrument and every you know person that attacks an instrument is going to be a little bit different but man the i i just really love his style for some of these songs and it's such a treat to be able to go back and listen to them and i've loved the fact that they've um they've been trying to get back into some of these vaults in this 93 94 era and i hope that they are going to be able to continue to do that i i loved the the vault nine um from seattle and i would just love to see a couple more of these um you know versus vitology um era shows find their way out there yeah, when that I was um, the recent write up that we did, right? We we just did the whole uh, pick uh, pick five shows to be on on wax if you could. <laughs> I agree, man. A lot of shows still. I'd love to have soundboards off. Yeah, just like we you were talking about Dave A, and yeah, like again for that for that era, and especially for the the ten and versus songs. Like, yeah, that's that's who I want there. But what was interesting, right? So this is they're writing Vitology songs, they're recording them on this tour and they're, you know, they're trying some out and, you know, when going through it, um, uh, revisiting it again, you know, you can see some of these things on the video. Cause I did watch that. Um, I don't, I don't watch videos very much, but I did make a point to sit down and, and watch this one. But like, like tremor Christ, like he, I, I, that's, it's just kind of like an awkward, like his, his drum vibe on that is totally different. And, you know, you don't hear to, they didn't play it that much with him. And there's just, you know, you get so used to hearing that from Matt or from, from Jack, you know, in those, uh, 95, 96 shows. But yeah, like that, I, I thought he was a little too, (laughs) a little too much on Tremor Christ, but you know, again, it's just his, his style, but then you get into like, you know, fucking up was like, like twice as fast as they play it now. And yeah, I think, you know, that, that one was really, um, exciting to see on the video because you know that's when you know ed's yelling at you know the bastards in the balcony and telling them to get up and uh you know everybody's moving around a lot more on the stage and 
you know, Mike had been kind of reserved wearing his fedora for most of the night and not really, you know, doing his, his Mike antics. But, you know, that, that song, like, it looked like they were just a band, you know, playing and having fun and, and, you know, having a great jam together. Um, yeah, like it was, and it was so much faster than they play it now, uh, or that we're used to. So that was really, uh, really, really something to see and something to hear. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. fucking up has a whole new vibe. I, I, I like when they do it now. I don't want to sidetrack, but like yeah. I, I like when they do it now. It's it's heavier, it's almost sludgier and it and it works. Um, but yeah, Dave sort of, you know, crushed that song. And and I agree. I think there's certain songs like I, I feel like Tremor Christ has more room to to breathe in the Jack era and the, and then Matt <laughs> era. I, I kind of agree with you on that. There there's certain songs that you want to hear Dave on for sure. Um and then there's certain ones where I, I agree maybe he didn't have the subtleties that the next couple of drummers did that that allowed those songs to kind of breathe over time. But yeah, there's yeah. there's definitely some of the heavy hitting stuff like Go and certain songs are like, yep, just Dave, right on. Yeah, and Rats, like Rats from the show, I made a bunch yeah. of notes about that because that was yeah. really spectacular for. Yeah, for that's that. one of the yeah that's one of the tracks that he actually can swing on a little bit. He mm-hmm. has that because um, he had some you know some of his. Uh, sort of before um pearl jam time was um with a fusion jazz band and you can hear that in his rhythm at times it doesn't always come through especially when you get into that heavier rock tunes but rats is one where you can definitely hear his ability to swing on the drums a little bit (laughs) and yeah tremor christ i definitely agree i mean you don't you don't have although this is probably the only version pre-jack that is really worth listening to in any extent because all of the other ones are maybe the chicago show from uh the chicago stadium um is a a little bit more complete but like the first couple from uh from 93 are you kind of like they're they're still trying to get the 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 whole uh composition together and they kind of they struggle to to even you know get that song pulled off and this is like the the first or at least of the ones that are available um accessible this is the one that definitely has the most um sort of you know complete vibe to it where it feels like a finished version of the song um but man you know it's just it's so interesting to be able to go back and and hear the that that sound and it's just you know it's it's just a little bit of a different vibe and I, you know, going back, it just struck me. I was like, you know, there's, there's things that he bring, brought to the table that, um, that are, that, you know, that can go unnoticed at times. And you, you, you spend so much time obviously in the, um, with the official bootlegs that we've all had access to for years. Um, and there's so many of them and they're kind <laughs> of cemented in my brain and it's just a different style and there's so many good recordings that came to be during um during jack's era whether they were audience recordings or you know soundboards or um mono soundboards that you know got uh leaked from uh, assistant uh listening devices and things of that nature but there there wasn't a ton of soundboard leaks especially post 92 um during during uh dave's era so it's it's few and far between you got to get these you really got to get these uh these vault releases to to start to get a a feel for 
for that in its in its you know sort of in the complete nature of what he brought to the table. So hopefully there's more of those to come. Yeah, absolutely. Bring them on. <laughs> Just take my money right now. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, I think we'll bring this to a wrap. We'll definitely have to thank Dan so much for coming on and and chatting with us. This was a, such a cool uh, story to you know to get you know the the background of of how this video uh, for the Orpheum Theater came to be. So you know everybody can now fully comprehend every time you decide to go onto YouTube and and load that up. You know the effort and the time that goes into that and 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 how that how that accessible video of that show is at your fingertips. Um, and it's just uh, incredible to think about the time and energy that went into that. Um, and, you know, maybe I'm going to go watch it right now just to <laughs> bask in its glory. <laughs> oh, man, Dan, thanks for spending your time, uh, you know, just talking through the, the history of all this with us. I super appreciate it. Definitely fascinating. And I, I learned a lot and, and uh, definitely a great guest to have on the show. So thank you. Yeah, well, thank you guys for having me on. This is a blast. Awesome. Thank yeah, you so much. we'll we'll love to have you back. We're we're going to do some uh, roundtable discussions at some point. Um, so hopefully you can join us for for one of those. We're going to talk about you know trading trees and whatnot. We'd love to have you on. Sounds great. All right, thanks everybody, and we will be back with a hallucinogenic recipe. And our next episode is going to be on hallucinogenic recipe we're going to talk about the box set yes that will be what's up next so brian we got some work to do we got some some uh some studying to pull off and uh we got to talk about the mothership oh we get to geek out over that one i can't wait all right all right thanks everybody thanks dan thanks brian and we will catch you next time still in search of that Lucia recipe for Pearl Jane.